Hello, I'm Paddy. And I'm Neil. And welcome back to Invasion of the Poddy Snatchers. So what are we going to do today, Paddy? It's our 10th edition. Wow. I know, I never thought we'd get this far. So in celebration, we're not going to watch films, we're going to talk about some of our favourites. Okay, that sounds like fun. Yeah, so and also we have, for today's thing, we have Bakewell's. Bakewell tarts and tea. I know, it's a bloody good luxury. thing. Luxury. It's luxury. Really nice, sit back, chat about films, eat some cake, have a cup of tea. Sounds like a great thing. Okay, what are we going to start with? Okay, we're going to start with Excalibur, 1981, John Bullman film. Yes, I've seen this. I watched it again recently because you said that you were going to talk about it. It's quite mad, isn't it? It's a a diverting, interesting film with wildly shifting points of view. (laughs) It's mad. (laughs) It's absolutely unhinged. I, I think it is in certain aspects, but as I said earlier... I'm used to watching Tom Baker's Doctor Who. Everything makes sense to me after that. All performances are fine. Nothing is insane. It's just interesting choices. It's just... As far as choices go, these are quite dramatic choices. There is some scenes in this which are quite simply stunning, aren't there? What's your some of your favourites? Well, I think some of my favourite scenes are... When he takes the sword out of the stone the second time around, it's the stirring music. I mean... Wagner is a major component of why this film is so impactful and he's picked his snippets of Wagner to complement the imagery very, very well and it's quite stunning when he pulls the sword out and suddenly he's acclaimed as king, at least by some people. He's then almost plunged immediately into battle, which I know you found it a little weird, but I still find it amazing when one of his opponents suddenly decides to knight him and is so impressed with his kingly qualities it it, it it feels right to me Merlin's at all agog he, he hasn't predicted this he doesn't know what's going on it's a film with some fairly uneven like script choices there are some also some very uneven acting Nigel Nigel Terry is the lead he's Arthur and his range is immense in this individual film I see <laughs> I think it's a difficult thing, isn't it? Because obviously he's playing Arthur from 16-year-old boy to 40-something-year-old man without it actually appearing to have aged at all or no time having passed. But it's a fairy tale. It is a fable of Arthur. He has to pack a lot of story into a short... Well, a fairly long-running time. Yes. And there's an amazing cast. The cast I mean, is fantastic. We're talking about a very young Liam Neeson, Gabriel Byrne, Patrick Stewart, Helen Mirren. And, of course, the magnificent Nicole Williamson as Merlin. Yes. And what do you love the most? What If you were going to sell this film to somebody based on one scene, where would you go? What would you show them? I think it would be when Arthur has spent the night in the woods with Merlin and has taken the sword out of the stone. And Merlin saying to him, I couldn't take the sword out of the stone. Only you, only the king can do this. And then leads him back to the woods, asking him questions all the time. So what will you do? You're king. What do you do? I should do this. I should do that. Then go ahead. And there's his army waiting for him to ride into battle, and they do. And it's quite ridiculously stirring sort of stuff with loads of Wagner in the background. And I, yeah. If you're not swept along with it at that point, it's not for you. I mean, it's a fairly cheaply done movie. There was no Irish film industry at this point. Everything had to be built up from scratch, every department. It's a film that doesn't look cheap to me. It's crafted together extremely well. 
every, everybody's pulling together extremely well yeah. to, to put as much onto screen as possible. Squeeze every drop of production design out. Okay, so we're going to look at my response to your mad choice now with my fairy tale, which is The Princess Bride. Well, what can we say about The Princess Bride? Except it's the greatest film ever made, possibly, to feature Andre the Giant. How many films feature Andre? This one does, and it's got giants, it's got fairies, it's got queens, it's got evil, it's got torture. I love it. It's amazing. It's got Columbo. It has got Columbo. And it's got, oh, it's got an amazing cast of people. It's directed by Rob Reiner, and it's, it's another one that's done fairly cheaply. But it's funny, and it's sweet, and it's got, it's genuinely hilarious and endlessly quotable. I mean, yeah, you got quotes coming through it. Simpsons everywhere, isn't it? I mean, it's like you and my, uh, you killed my father, and oh god, I can't even bloody remember it. Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. And that's Mandy Patinkin, as in, is just hamming it up as and having the best time as the greatest swordsman in the world. We've got. Or is he? Maybe it's the dread. The pirate dread pirate Robert. Roberts. It yeah. could be the dread pirate Roberts. We've got, um, we've got Andre the Giant as Fezzik the Giant. So, I mean, a bit of typecasting. Robin Wright, who's gone on to be absolutely everywhere as an older woman, as an older actress. She has absolutely dominated because she is so good. And we've got all of Rob Reiner's, we've got all of Rob Reiner's crew from Spinal Tap and the cream of 80s comedy, Mel Smith and uh, Peter Cook, amongst others, are performing. It's a great, It's I think it's great fun. Not to mention Billy Crystal and all sorts of American actors. Yeah, I, I still can't get over that Christopher Guest isn't actually British. I know, he's so good in it. And it's got some lovely... I mean, it never looks amazing, but it has real heart and it's really fun. It is very sweet and it moves along very quickly. It does, I think. It is a very romantic film yes. and a very funny film. Inconceivable. What should we go to next? Well, from the sublime to the good, the bad and the ugly. Oh, for, that, that's not where I thought you were going. Okay. from the So the good, the bad, and the ugly. I mean, what can we say about it? It's got one of the best soundtracks ever. Oh, so, oh, there's no argument there. It's just that uh, that soundtrack actually makes the whole film. The soundtrack makes the Spaghetti Westerns, like Ennio Morricone. Without him, there is no way that I think that those things are popular as they are. Yeah, no, I'm not sure... I think he wrote the score before the film in this instance. I'm not sure if they went as far as they did in Once Upon a Time in the West and actually played the score during certain scenes, but they, they, it came close to that. So everybody understood the mood of every scene. There's also the fantastic visuals. It does it, look stunning and it needs a big screen. Yeah, I mean, the first time I saw it was on tiny sort of pan scan version on BBC Two late at night and then... I was very lucky to see a print at the Scala Cinema, and it was like watching it for the first time. It was just humongous on the screen. They've really, he really makes use of the big sky, doesn't he? And the width of the of the cinemascope. It is cinemascope, or is it? I think it's one of the uh, yeah. sort of wide. And it's brilliant. The setups, all of the way that he creates the uh, the sense of emptiness around. Brilliant. Yeah, and the, yeah, the positioning of the figures within it is so precise. Mm -hmm. The relationships with everybody is, is is stunning. I mean, and then also you got Eli Waller basically tearing down the scenery, chewing everything up, and it doesn't upset the balance of the film in any way. No, and at the same time we have Clint Eastwood, one of his one of his best Western performances. I mean, he is being the 
the archetypal Clint Eastwood in this film. Yeah, man of no words, not man of no name. But his he actually is is incredibly communicative and re, and relatable as an actor in those films for some reason. It possibly because he's so ruggedly like good looking and possibly, but he's also actually genuinely got the meanest there. I mean, he's opposite Lee Van Cleef, who who is up to that point spent ten years playing the bad guy in westerns, and Clint's mean stare is death basically isn't it yeah it's amazing again the standoff at the end is just iconic it's a it's if you haven't seen it it's something you should see because it's part of it's cinema isn't it and yeah. it's purest form there's almost no dialogue but the, you understand everybody's relationship to each other and it's just so tense and then it's so operatic and stylish i mean you've got these desperate men trying to do everything to get by in the meanest world possible fighting each other tooth and nail you could call it cynical and it mean. Is, it is cynical and mean, but... It's wonderful at the same time. Yes. And I find it endlessly watchable. Okay, is it my turn to choose a film again? Yes. What are you going to choose? So I've chosen another film with an iconic hero. Um, I've chosen Raiders, which which is, without doubt, a perfect film. There is nothing that can be improved in it. It is just so absolutely spot on. I love it. Yeah, it's not just having been exactly the right age to see it when you were a kid or anything, it still stands up today. And it's another film where the soundtrack will stay with you. That is that John Williams score. The the theme is huge and makes the heroicness of it. I love the fact it makes the heroicness of it. That's a really well put thing, but you know what I mean. Very well argued. (laughs) Thank you. It's a film that harks back to the 30s, to to the serials that were on Saturday mornings and to swashbuckling it's just epic i love it and again another performance that cannot be topped harrison ford as an action hero there setting standards that can't be beaten really yeah it's it's very easy to sort of say these sort of actors don't do much and they're just there being themselves there's no way harrison ford is that cool a guy <laughs> but he is <laughs> but harrison ford isn't that kind of guy harrison ford is much more a clint eastwood kind of guy when you actually see him interviewed he's a very very laid back kind of introverted quiet man indy is none of those things and ford brings him to life brilliantly you could argue it's one of spielberg's greatest films yes because everything moves like clockwork it was a job for hire from george lucas after the disappointment of 1941 he's no he's a master craftsman the start is among the best starts of any film when going into the temple and then being chased endlessly by the ball and then by the people spitting blow parts and getting into the aeroplane to get away and soaring off that's enough to sell that film just that most films get by on less action than that start yeah yeah it's epically good although i would say also say karen allen is the best of all the leading ladies he had and that's why she came back Everything in that film, everybody in that film has to be at their best in order to match the standards of Spielberg and Ford, who are just absolutely blown out of the water. And she's she's a fantastic actor anyway. It's just a shame that's her signature role. There should have been a much bigger career for her in lots of other films, I feel. Yeah. Talking of other films, you're going to bring up some some dodgy, another dodgy rough one, are you? I don't think you've ever heard of this one. Is The Godfather Part 2? A sequel? Yeah. <laughs> okay, yes. I mean, this could just have easily have been the first film that I picked as one of my five favourites. Uh, but I think it's, it adds to the story of the first one in genuine ways by showing all these 
flashbacks to Don Corleone's life with the impeccable Robert De Niro and these beautiful sequia sequences. It, uh, the music, top notch again, and showing the corruption of Michael, how even further it's gone than the end of the first film, I think is worth. Because the end of the first film, the finishing is, is stunning. as Again, I said stunning already about 46 times. Maybe. I have. So, yes, from the end of the film, I mean, there's been... He's already fallen so far from being their war hero down to becoming the, the mass gangster. murderer gangster. And this continues the theme. I think so. Uh, but with Fredo, his older brother's storyline, it just deepens that sense of hopelessness with his soul being utterly corrupted and destroyed. What would you be? What would you pick out here as the the scene that you would sell somebody for this? You know, why do? They, why is it that this is the best film? Why is this a film that I should watch? What scene would you sell me on? That's a very good question. It's not one thing, is it? It's a three-hour film full of stunning sequences that build... Pick out some of your favourites. I think, actually, it's a very simple thing. It's They've had a sequence where Fredo is weak as an older man because that's his character trait. He hasn't got the strength of character of his brothers uh, and he hasn't got the necessary violence to back up anything he would like to do. It then flashes back to a sequence where... As a baby, he's very sickly, and they're applying some medieval torture to him. To, uh, they're applying these um, heat-filled things to sort of suck out the bad um, bad humours from him. And De Niro is just looking at him aghast at what they're doing to his poor baby boy. And it's almost wordless, and it's just beautiful. How would you compare De Niro and Brando playing the same role? It's quite interesting to see how, the, how De Niro, who's got to follow up, on what Brando did in the first role, how he incorporates that. Yeah, because he's picked on certain outward aspects, but he's internalised a lot of things, so he's very quiet. I assume that they worked very carefully with the young boy who also plays him as a nine-year-old and just drew out that all in, going on inside his head. He's a very smart man. He's very determined. But actually... He's a very sweet man. He is... Fredo is his character more than Michael is. Or Michael yeah. is before he yes. gets corrupted. And he just is looking out for his family. He just happens to do murder to do that. <laughs> Quite a lot of murder. I think everybody's going to know that Godfather Part Two is a great film. I'm going to say it's even better than you remember it most of the time. There's so much going on. The symbolisms, the, the use of the camera, it's very well put together as well as being a really good story it's come from some quite pulpy fiction i mean i find the original book dreadful to be honest i really struggled to even get halfway through it but also the film overcomes a lot of obstacles that were thrown in its way during production and it's seamless and you wouldn't realize sure you know so you know yeah. there were people who refused to come back unless they were paid a certain amount of money and then it's very obvious that they've been replaced by another actor <laughs> and uh so say a different character but you don't really notice no, it's, it's it's very well done. It's a masterpiece. We talked about that when we were doing. We talked about that when we did the Outsiders. It's interesting that he's never that, Co- that Coppola never actually managed to hit those heights. I don't think. Yeah, I mean, there's aspects of Apocalypse Now which touch closely onto it, but really, it's those three films made in a four-year, three-year period. Got to the two Godfathers and the conversation that is pinnacle of his yeah, work. Absolutely. What's next for you, Paddy? So I don't think you've seen this. It's a German film called The Lives of Others which uh, is about a Stasi officer. It's 
told from the point of view of a most unsympathetic character who is ordered to follow an actress and her lover, who is a playwright, to try and discredit them because the senior officer this wants to have an affair with the actress. It's told incredibly intimately. It's all so many close-ups, so many really claustrophobic shots, and it's all in muted greys and greens, and it's oppressive and it's depressing, but at the same time, it's kind of the weirdest love story you'll ever see. As the Stasi officer falls for the actor, actress, and hence refuses to denounce her. It's Florian Henkel von Donnersmark's first feature film. Simply stunning, the work that goes into it. I would recommend it. The acting is always, it's one of the things that I find interesting is when you watch foreign films with subtitles, how much different it is to interpret the acting because you can only work on the physicality and the sound of the, the sound of the words. I don't speak German. So when I'm watching, the, I really rely on the physicality of the performers. And I think it's fantastic. I think it's fantastic. It's wonderful. I have to give it a go. But it's a, it's a fairly bleak couple of hours, but it's, Really, it's really intimate. It's really, it's a film that you need. You you really develop a relationship with the characters here, and you really feel for them. It's filmed less than twenty years after the fall of the Berlin Wall, but it's actually the first drama that's set behind the Berlin Wall. Before that, I think we've got Goodbye Lenin, and which is a comedy. I think that's about it. It's not a. It's not something that. Certainly, German filmmakers want to explore until then. Certainly nothing done on the East German side may be touched on in the West German cinema. I don't even know. Well, we don't. my knowledge of West German cinema, or even German cinema broadly, is not that great. But mm. there's nothing that's come to my knowledge. Yeah. Okay. So, yes, oh, strong recommend. Excellent. Hopefully I've sold it to you. <laughs> yes. So what's your, what's your fourth choice? My fourth choice is Robocop. <laughs> You're not doing subtle today, are you? I am going all out for operatic, dynamic, propulsive filmmaking, of which this is a perfect example. I think Verhoeven is one of the best directors around. He's just not matched with material that can meet his talents, except Robocop is a masterpiece, and it gives him everything he needs. The satire, the science fiction, this whole storyline perfectly suited to his way of directing yes it's it works perfectly it, it does it's uh, really lucky it's um serendipitous match uh, because Verhoeven loves to tell loves to be satirical with all his background stuff then there's so much going on in the background little details in and subtlety is not one of his hallmarks <laughs> no it's not and this is but this doesn't need to be a subtle film it's a big action thriller isn't it I mean, yeah, it works on at least two levels of the, you know, this poor cop has been made into this robotic creature and he doesn't know what he is yet and he's got to fight through that and win the appraisal of his colleagues, wins his self-esteem, self-knowledge back. It could be perceived as a Jesus metaphor. I think there's often taken it because he walks on water at the end, effectively. It's puddles. He's yeah. walking on a puddle. On a puddle. But anyway, anyway, anyway sorry. Uh, there's I, that, and, the, and then there's the, the whole satire of corporate America just doing anything to get a quick buck. That I, You see, that is the, that's the level that I was watching this at, and also Big Bang. And yes. um, Nancy Allen's quite remarkable in this. Yeah, she's excellent. She's a proper tough uh, police cop with no uh, histrionics. So I want to say also Paul Weller, but it's not, it's Peter Weller. Yes. Is... 
Uh, it's it's not an easy role. No, apparently the suit was incredibly difficult to wear as well. Um, he had to learn mime. Um, Why? Uh, to learn to develop a, a skillful way of walking within oh, the suit. Geez, got you. He insisted on being called Robo. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Robo one and Oreo. Yeah. Okay. So he, yeah, I mean, it's not an easy piece of work to have done, and yet he brings out the humanity of the character. The bad guys are cartoonish. But, but that's, that's that is part of, that is part of the. I um, mean, there's a certain glee in get, them getting their comeuppance as well. But I mean, they're meant to be cartoons. That's what I was trying to say. Sorry, not that they're yeah. not that it's a bad thing in this case, but they are remarkably good. I mean, there are five people all trying to outdo Eli Wallach, basically, <laughs> as, the, as this nastiest, scummiest bad guy you can imagine. Kurt, Kurt uh, Wood Smith. Kurt Wood Smith gets some superb lines. Can you fly, Bobby? Yeah. <laughs> No. I really enjoy his performance in this. He's so nasty. And Kurt Smith has some fantastic lines. Can you fly, Bobby? Exactly. No, you can't, it turns out. <laughs> yeah, what can you say? It's not for everybody. The violence levels are humongous. Yeah, it's it's messy. It's not actually that shocking now, because a lot of comedies now are this level of violent. It was, it was quite intense at the time. Yes, and of course... As everybody in Britain knows, it feels like a halfway rip-off of Judge Dredd, which the writers come close to acknowledging at times. Absolutely, but it does actually manage to create its own universe. Oh, yes. Because yeah. Verhoeven is quite clearly setting it in a America in an America that is just a couple of years away, rather than Dredd, which is very far in the future. Yeah. This is something that we should worry about in the next, I don't know, 20 minutes or so. Yes, no, absolutely. So, what have you got next on your list? Okay, so, uh, not entirely the same. Uh, I've gone for The Apartment. Right. Which is a heartfelt drama from the 1960s. Won the Oscar in 1961, 60 or 61. I think it was film released in 60, Oscar in 61. Jack Lemmon and Shirley MacLaine. In a Billy Wilder film. In a Billy Wilder. I just absolutely love everything about it. Jack Lemmon's performance is on a level that he doesn't reach anywhere except in maybe some like it hot or the odd couple. It's warm. He's so relatable as the downtrodden salaryman who's trying to make his way. And Shirley MacLaine comes in to his life and just changes everything about him. He wants to be a better person for her, and it's got the best, it's got one of the best endings of any film. And again, some like it hot, Jack Lemmon again. Yeah, if you're going to have anything on your epitaph, it's going to be the killer ending lines to your two best films, isn't it? It's slightly satirical of the time. It's gently, yeah, gently satirical of what the, of the relationships at the time. It's shot in a way that really enhances your... It really brings out the story and the warmth of the characters and allows you to enjoy getting to know them. And at the end, you're really rooting for them, for both of them. And when she... Yeah, I love it. Brilliant. Also, Fred McMurray as the villain. Kind of a villain. Yeah, sweet it's, Fred, old Fred McMurray, who's quite a nasty boss, really. He these days would be Mr. HR. Would like, oh, <laughs> HR would like a word with you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. But it's, it's so against type for him. Three actors who really stand out, but who make the film, who are basically the entirety of the film. And without all three of them working brilliantly, it wouldn't be as amazing as it is. Oh, fantastic. 
It's a long time since I've seen the apartment. I don't think I was old enough to appreciate all its nuances and qualities when I first saw it. I can understand that. It's a film that requires maybe a little bit more experience of the world to understand what the problems are, why this is a thing that's happening. How you could be so easily trapped in these situations where exactly. your boss has a hold over you. Yeah, there. exactly. Okay, so you've got another choice. My last film, I don't think there's any quibbling with this one, Paddy, is Groundhog Day. I'm going to find a way to quibble. I don't think there's any quibbling with this one, Paddy. It's Groundhog Day. <laughs> <laughs> I love this film. I absolutely love this film. We've seen it. I've seen it very recently in the wine cellars in Bristol. Oh, yes. It was, a, yeah, they matched. <laughs> so they, they do this lovely thing where they take you down into the cellars and they match the wine to the film. For this one, they gave us the same wine five times. <laughs> Here's a bottle. Help yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, it's Groundhog Day in wine. Uh, I mean, I mean, this is it. He's got this classic plot, which somehow hadn't been used up until this point, and has now been ripped off by every genre TV show imaginable, and by every, reworked every five years or so. I mean, there was Palm Springs just recently with Andy Samberg, Edge of Tomorrow with uh, Tom Cruise. Yeah, they keep coming back and back. Yeah, except I find this one perfect because for me, for me, sometimes when films have to explain why something has happened, I like the magic of it just happened this is the way it is he never finds out why he was trapped in the same repeating situation it could be that he was there for 10,000 years who knows it seemed i mean didn't i've read somewhere that somebody i read some, a, a thing someone exploring how much practice he would have had to done to become an expert in all of the things and it is thousands of years worth of practice i, I think the writer had expressed that 10,000 years in purgatory was the express idea behind it, that that would transform you from a selfish man to a reformed human being. It's great. Bill Murray's perfect in it. Yes, he is. Although I have recently read that the studio preferred Kevin Klein and my mind was blown. Oh, wouldn't I just love to see Kevin Klein? That would have been amazing too. That would have been amazing. It would have been a slightly different film. Yes, but I think he would have brought certain qualities out that, at best, you might say Murray is subtle with. <laughs> he, Murray plays up the misanthropic nature of his character really well. He's horrible, grim, depressing, a, a, a fun sponge, a joy sponge at the start of the film. And his, his, his transformation is very noticeable. Uh, and he seems to be, the character, not Murray, seems to have uh, take great joy in the things that he can now do as a result. Yeah, I, I, I just at times you think, can you really buy it that Murray has changed this much? And you can when you start to think about how many days he has gone through, the hell he has gone through, the boredom. Yeah. Andy Andy McDowell is the other actor in the film who yes. has a major part, and she's really strong in this. She's very good. I mean, she doesn't put a foot wrong for someone who uh, hadn't really trained as an actress. Is she a model first? I think she was a model first, and then she got into acting and plucked out of obscurity and sexualized a videotape by Steven Soderbergh. Um, yeah, she's very good. She she plays perfectly against Murray. You can see why Murray's character would be infatuated with her, and it's a realistic relationship at the start of the film, antagonistic. There is no way they would ever get together. She's far too smart to yeah. for him. And the film the film deals with the transformation really nicely. The film paces along and is funny, is properly funny and uh, dark at times too. 
Yeah, it's 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 got something for everybody, hasn't it? And it's just it is a perfect film, really, in many ways. Should we talk about my Andy McDowell film? Yes, let's Which talk is about better your... than your Andy McDowell film. There is no better film than Groundhog Day. <laughs> I've chosen four weddings and a funeral. There is no better film than Groundhog Day. <laughs> <laughs> I've chosen four weddings and a funeral because I love this film. I love everything about it. I love the again, it starts explosively. There's a fantastic rush of fucks as we get out and they're late and it's all disorganized and chaotic. I love the fact that at no point does anybody explain what anyone does. We just are thrown into this group of people who are clearly fabulously wealthy and uh, somehow at the same time struggling to get by. I don't know how this happens. We never bother to explain it. You know you said how you love in Groundhog Day. They don't bother to explain. I love this about For Four Weddings. It's a, it's a mark of a great film where you don't notice certain things about people. You're just presented with the story and you go along with it. Yeah. I love the fact. I love the fact that we only see these people in brief periods there are five brief periods it's a it's the four weddings and it's the funeral that's all we see essentially yeah so they're always at their best light aren't they because they're always forced to group together and gossip and moan and bitch and fall back in love with each other and for me it's a little it's a i love the comic performances i love the fact that we've got rowan atkinson being the worst vicar since peter cook Right. There's a theme. There's a theme here. There's a theme. I love everything about this film. And I think it's a joy. I love the representation representation of um, gay relationships in an essentially straight film. I love the fact that there's a little bit of dealing with disability, with the deaf character. It's a beautiful, romantic film with a great ending. And I love it every time. Every time that Duckface punches hit, punches Charlie right in the face, I think you had that coming, son. It's an acceptable romantic film. <laughs> You That's have harsh. you are dead on the inside. I am. It is a very funny film. It does rattle along, and of course, the poignancy with the death of one of the major characters really hits home because because you've lived with these characters during yeah. these bits. It genuinely is a it is a sad moment, and it's unexpected in such a film. Yeah, and that and that makes it hit harder. Yeah, and, and enriches the film. It does. Um, it's got more depth than any Richard Curtis film since. It has, yeah. He's just running the greatest hits by afterwards, isn't he, really? A little bit. Right, oh, that's fantastic. What a great run-through. I tell you what, I think that makes ten films that anyone could enjoy. Yeah, I mean, it's, we've got a bit of comedy, a bit of action, a bit of romance. Anything anybody could want. That's a, crack, a couple of cracking thrillers in there. Yeah, I mean, okay, it might be difficult to pair up um, lives of others with one of the others as a double bill of an evening, but I think most of them would double bill of an evening quite nicely. If you've not seen it before... Prepare to be entertained or prepare to switch off immediately and go, what do they know? (laughs) I think that everyone will find something they enjoy in our list and maybe they'd discover a little unknown one. Yeah, I hope so. Thanks very much for joining us again. And uh, we're just going to finish off the cakes. See you next time. On Invasion of the Potty Snatchers. Bye. Bye.